0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everyone. Some years back, I was blessed to be able to attend a conference in California at Saddleback Church. That's the church that Rick Warren pastored. Rick is the author of the best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life. If you've never read that before, you, you really should. But it was, a, it was an incredible conference. But there's a couple things that I'll always remember about that trip. And the first on the airplane ride to California I had the new album called Comatose by the Christian rock band Skillet playing continuously on a loop on my MP3 player. I know MP3 is going back a few years. I had only been a Christ follower for a couple years at this point. You see, I accepted Christ when I was 33 and Skillet was one of the first Christian rock bands that I had discovered. So by the time that I was on this trip, man, God was like really doing a lot of things in my life. He was growing me by leaps and bounds. But I was also going through some personal problems. And I'll touch a little bit about that later. But anyways, I was mesmerized by this band and their music. Loved it. Listened to it nonstop all the way to California. And that's a pretty long trip. Well, then we land at the John Wayne Airport in San Diego and I come out of the terminal and I start walking to go to baggage claim and I'm still rocking out on me some skillet and I'm looking and I stop and I see John Cooper, the lead singer of skillet, walking down the airport straight towards me and I'm thinking that I'm like, hallucinating or overdosing on too much skillet and i yell i said john and he stopped and he said do you know me i said dude i'm a fan i said i'm listening to your music right now you see skillet would go on to be a really popular band but at that point they really weren't big yet so he wasn't accustomed to some middle-aged dude creeping on him in an airport (laughs) well we talked for a while and i get a picture now, I told you I was new to the faith, so ignore that big pinch of chew that I had there in my lower lip, but you could see that, man, I am like, I can't believe this happened. And I'm like starstruck. He tells me to wait a minute, the rest of the band were on their way, so I get a picture with them too. I mean, that is a crazy story. That stuff doesn't happen. Well, now the second thing that stands out about that trip and what actually connects into today's teaching is that on the last day I had some free time and I was able to take my rental car for a drive on the Pacific Coast Highway. Now the Pacific Coast Highway is a road that's right on the edge of the ocean. I mean, it is right on the coast. It takes you through Laguna Beach, Malibu, and all these beautiful areas. And I remember how awesome that view was, looking out over the ocean and the beaches and just being amazed and just being in awe at what God had created. But I also remember that in certain areas, there were like 100-foot drop-offs that led straight down to the rocky shores of the Pacific Ocean, cliffs that were just feet away from the edge of the road. So if you were to get out of control, to slide, the only thing that would protect you was this. A guardrail. That was the only thing that stood between life and death. I mean, this guardrail was the dividing point of where it was safe to be and where it was not safe to be. And this is always... Always the case with guardrails. I mean, whenever you see a guardrail, you should always know that there's danger. I mean, we see them around here. We see them on bridges where there's danger. We see them in a medium where they're a separation point between traffic moving fast in different directions. Danger. We see them along sharp curves where there's danger. There's always danger on the other side of a guardrail, Guardrails are put in place to protect us and to guide us when there is danger. They keep us safe. So here's our big idea for the day. This is what I'm going to keep hammering home. Guardrails are designed to keep us from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Guardrails are designed to keep us from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. So what if we took this concept of guardrails and we apply it to our lives? I mean, what if we were to place guardrails in areas in our life where we tend to want to get a little too close to the danger zone? So if we were to get too close or maybe rub up against that guardrail, we would recognize we're in a dangerous position. I need to proceed with caution. I'm in a position that could cause damage. I'm in a position that could cause me or my family shame. And I think the truth is, if you were to be 100% honest this morning, your greatest regret that you have in your life could have been avoided if you would have had some guardrails put in place. Proverbs 27, verse 12 says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Prudent is basically someone wise. The wise recognize danger. They take refuge. They stop. They turn. But the simple, the unwise, they keep going, and they suffer for it. So today, I'm going to show you three areas in our lives where it would be very wise to install guardrails. Three areas that are spoken about in the Bible over and over again because they often lead to our greatest regrets. You see, when we, when we mess up in these areas, they become life-altering events. They become that moment that we always look back on and just wish that we could redo and I promise you, if you establish guardrails in these three areas of your life, you will never regret it. So three areas we need guardrails. Number one is our actions. Our actions. Now I know this seems, this seems broad, but I'm going to focus primarily on one action that is generally not talked about very much in church, because there are varying opinions on whether it is right or wrong to do. And the action I'm going to talk about is drinking alcohol. Now, before I possibly offend anyone today, let me attempt to get everyone in a good mood. A gorilla walks into a bar. A teaching on alcohol needs a good bar joke. A gorilla walks into a bar and orders a martini. Martini. Well, this totally amazes the bartender, but he thinks, well, what the heck? I guess I might as well make the drink. So he mixes the martini and pours it. He walks back over to the bar to give it to the gorilla, and the animal's holding out a $20 bill. Well, now the bartender, man, he's at a loss for words. He can't believe that a gorilla walked into his bar, ordered a martini, and then actually has the cash to pay for it. So in amazement, he takes the 20 and he walks to the cash register to make change. Well, when he's standing in front of the cash register, he stops for a second. He thinks, let me try something here. Let me see if the gorilla notices anything. So he walks back to the gorilla and hands him a dollar change. gorilla doesn't say anything. He just sits there sipping his martini. Well, after a few minutes, the bartender, he just can't take it anymore. He says to the gorilla, he says, you know, we don't get too many gorillas in here. And the gorilla looks up and says, at $19 a drink, I'm not surprised. (laughs) All right, the first area in our life where we need a guardrail set up is our actions. Specifically, our actions when it comes to drinking. Now, the first thing you must know, the Bible never says... Drinking alcohol is a sin, but it warns us of the dangers of drunkenness 75 times. And I'm going to walk us through one of them. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5. Now if you've read the book of Acts, you know that Paul started a church in Ephesus. It's recorded in chapter 19. Ephesians is a letter to that church in Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So Paul begins with a warning. He says, Be careful. He says, Be wise. There is danger around you to make the most Of every opportunity Christ is giving you, you must pay attention to how you are living your life. Be very careful of the situations you are putting yourself in. He goes on, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying, understand what Christ is calling you to do. Understand who Christ is calling you to be. Understand how Christ is calling you to act. Paul was saying that you must know as a follower of Christ where your line is between right and wrong, where it's safe for you to go and where it's not safe for you to go. And then Paul gives us our first guardrail. In verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Now, Paul's not saying don't get drunk because it's a sin. He's saying don't get drunk because it leads to sin. It leads to doing things that are unwise. It leads to acting and making decisions at times that can be very foolish, acting irresponsible, doing things that you might regret, things that can hurt you, things that can hurt others. Our prison systems are full of people with stories that would back this up. Man, even good people do bad things when they went too far and they're not thinking clearly. Getting drunk often leads to people doing things they wouldn't normally do, but but their perception, it becomes blurred at this point. Drunkenness leads to a loss of self-control. You don't always recognize when you're in a dangerous area that you shouldn't be in. And since alcohol, by its very nature, can lead anybody to a point of loss of control, Paul says, you need to set a boundary. You need to put up a guardrail. You need to make a decision that you're not going to get drunk, but you need to know and you need to be honest where that point is. Because it's different for people. You know, for some people, their guardrail should be no alcohol, period. Because some people can't drink anything without it eventually leading to a crash. I mean, you can rationalize all you want, make up as many excuses as you want, but you know it, God knows it, and that needs to be your guardrail. For others, they're fine throwing back adult beverages. They're fine having wine with a meal. you got to know your limit, the prudency, danger, and take refuge. But the simple keep going. And suffer for it. Well, Paul ends this verse by saying, Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So he's saying, Instead of being under the influence, let God be your influence. Let Him guide you and direct you. And here's the thing, too if you're a person, because there's a lot of people like this, if you're a person that believes that alcohol, period, is a sin, then it is for you. God's already given you your guardrail. The bottom line is, is the world is dangerous. It was dangerous then in Ephesus, and it's still dangerous. We've got to pay attention. We've got to be careful, be wise. Don't get drunk. Honor Christ with your actions. That's the first area that we need to place guardrails. Now, the second area in our lives that it would be wise to place guardrails is our Friendships. Our friendships. You know, here's the deal. Many friendships in our lives are with people who are moving in opposite directions than we are. Parents recognize this quickly in life. That's the reason they constantly freaked out about who you spent your time with. We all had parents that said, you can't go to his house. You can't go to her house. You can't spend the night there. We're like, why? It's awesome there. Their parents are never home. We do whatever we want. What's the problem? And all of us who grew up with those crazy, overreacted parents, we do the same things. Except we got like a huge advantage. We have technology on our side. We don't even have to go anywhere to spy on our kids. We can just look at social media. We could put stuff on the phones and the vehicles. But seriously, the reason we freak out is we understand that friends influence the direction and the quality of our lives. I mean, the things that make friendship so great is also the thing that makes friendship so dangerous. When we're with people that accept us, we drop our guard. And we become more open to influence. I mean, think about it. The dumbest things you've ever done in your life, they were with somebody. And your greatest regrets, they usually don't involve around your enemies, they happened with friends. And sometimes you get around certain people and they're moving in different directions and you end up being the one who changes direction. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, Solomon says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffer harm. See, this first part here is saying, basically, that wisdom is contagious. If you surround yourself with wise people... By nature of proximity, you will become a wiser person. It's like golfing with really good golfers. The more you play with them, the better you become because they, like, push you and they motivate you and they inspire you to up your game. It's the same way with being a musician. When you play with really good musicians, you become a lot better. And when you do life with people who the Bible say are wise, it will impact the way you view things and it will impact the way you do things. Walk with the wise and become wise. Now the second half of this scripture is actually a warning. For a companion of fools suffer harm. Now this is where we, all, we misunderstand this sometimes. We have a tendency to get tripped up on this a little because we assume If I spend time with the wise, I become wise. So if I spend time with fools, I will become a fool. But that's not even what Solomon's even saying. He's saying that a person that does life with a fool is a person who will eventually be impacted by the behavior of the fool. I mean, even if you never behave the way a fool behaves, eventually the shrapnel the explosion of their life, the devastation that will occur at some point in their life is going to impact your life. And you see this all the time. Someone else's life has changed because of the consequences of someone else's bad decision. Man, if you... If you rub shoulders regularly with people that don't care, you eventually suffer the consequences of their decisions. If you have friends that don't care about their lives, they're not going to be concerned or care about your life. If your friends don't care about the health of their marriage, they're not going to care about the health of your marriage. If they don't have character, if they don't have integrity... If they don't care about honoring God in their life, they're not going to care about any of this stuff in your life. So here's your guardrail. Who you surround yourself with, which is your core group of friends, should be moving in the direction that you want your life to be moving. Your value system. Your... It's marriage, what you want for your life, your family, your spirituality. It should be going the same direction as who you spend your time with. And if those of whom you are in close proximity with are going in opposite directions than you, I'm telling you, you need to be concerned about it. Man, concerned enough that you do something. Do something about it. Don't wait until there's a problem. Don't be like a frog. We don't want to be like frogs. Let me tell you a story about frogs. If you take this is true. If you take a frog and you place it in water and you start heating the water up, you know what happens? I'm not talking about your stomach growls because maybe you like frog legs. When you put a frog in water and you start heating the water, the frog starts to adjust its body temperature. They have the ability to do that. They adjust their body temperature as the water temperature increases. So as the water slowly heats up, the frog adjusts its body temperature accordingly. This goes on and on. But just when the water is about to reach boiling point, The frog can't adjust anymore. So at this point, the frog decides to jump out, but he's unable to because he's lost all his strength adjusting with the rising water temperature. So the frog dies. And you think about it, what exactly killed the frog? And some of you may say, well, boiling water. But the truth is, it was the frog's own inability to decide when to jump out. Man, we all need to adjust with people. We need to adjust with situations, but we need to be sure when we need to adjust and when we need to move on. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for. And know that I'm not talking about people that you're reaching out to I'm not talking about people that you're trying to lead to Christ. I'm talking about your core group of people that are around you that have an influence on you. They need to be moving in the same direction as you. That's how you keep from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. That's your guardrail. And if you lack people like this, get into a small group at the church. You can check the box on the Get Connected card. There's a thing on the JAR app you can sign up. I mean, truly, that's the entire point of having small groups at the church. You're being around people that are moving in the same direction, inspiring each other, encouraging each other, doing life together. So we need to place guardrails in our actions, in our friendships, and the third area it would be wise to place guardrails is our relationships. Our relationships. Friends, this is an area in our life that we need like reinforced steel guardrails. And Paul gives us one. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18. Paul says, flee. From sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Those are actually pretty strong words. He doesn't say, be careful. He doesn't say, you should be aware of where the danger lies. He doesn't say, why don't you get as close as you can to the edge, peek over a little bit, but that's it. He says, flee. Because when a person crosses certain lines in this area of their lives, the disaster is often impossible to recover from. The trail of damage, the guilt, the lack of trust, the memories. You see, these things follow us our entire lives. But the problem is, our culture seems to blur the lines of what sexual immorality is or where sexual immorality lies I mean I think it's bad enough that young people are force fed they have to look a certain way or be a certain size but now they feel like that they have to do certain things It's like everywhere we turn in our culture everything the Bible says is not okay to do the world says It's not only fine now, but it's expected. It's like culture fools us into believing things and then it leaves us with a lifetime of consequences. Culture baits us right to the edge of disaster and then it loves to mock us when we step over it. That's why Paul says, flee. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Don't even get close to that danger zone. You know what? Put your guardrail so far away from it, you won't even be tempted to ever cross that line. And then he explains why, for a Christian, sin in this particular area of our life is greater than sin in other areas. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Listen, I know... Boy, I know everyone always says, a sin is a sin. All sin is equal. And Paul says, no, it's not. No, it's not. Not when it's a sin against your body. Why is this? Well, God the Father created your body. God the Son redeemed your body, and God the Holy Spirit indwells in your body, making your body the temple of God. Man, we are called to honor God with our bodies. If it's dishonoring to God, don't do it. Flee from it. If you're single, let God prepare you for the right person. You know what? Let God prepare you to be the right person. Slow down. Wait. You're worth it. You are worth it. Your future relationships are worth it. Give God something to bless. Well, I mentioned in my opening story about going to the conference that I was going through some personal problems. It was just two years before that that I had stepped into church for the first time. I was 33. I didn't grow up in church. My parents never attended or spoke of things of God. I had no real inkling what it really was or even meant. But I heard a radio ad one day for a church called The Jar. They were inviting people to their first Easter celebration in the gymnasium of the downtown YMCA. And for some reason, I wanted to go. I mean, I didn't even know the significance of Easter. It was always just a day we ate candy and visited the Easter bunny. Well, I asked my wife if she would go and she did not want to. So I asked my 12-year-old daughter, Courtney, and she said, sure. So we attended the next week, which was actually the week before Easter. And that day changed everything about my life. I remember the teaching. I remember the songs. I remember the prayer that I prayed at the end. Accepting Christ. And I knew, I knew that day that my life would never be the same again. I was walking out a different person than I had walked in. And man, I went all in. I immersed myself, I got baptized. Man, I studied the Bible. Studying, praying, growing. I mean, I took huge steps in a very short time. This was like, I always looked at this was like my road to Damascus. If you heard the story about Paul, how everything just changed instantly. But unfortunately, not everyone appreciated this change. Not everyone was on board with this change. And it caused a lot of problems in my marriage. You see, I, I wanted so bad for this to be our thing. But it was my thing. I was no longer the person she had married, and that caused a lot of resentment. And that led her down a different path with different people. And two weeks before that California trip, she let me know she was divorcing me. And at that point, man, I understood why the Bible says there's a cost to following Christ. So after my wife divorced me, I went two years without dating. I didn't want to be foolish. I didn't want to move toward things or be put in a position to be tempted by something that I might regret. I truly wanted things done God's way. And I wanted it done in God's timing. So after two years, I felt God giving me a green light. So I just prayed. I said, God, lead me to who you desire me to be with. Well, the problem was, I didn't really know how to date. I had been with my ex-wife for 18 years. I wasn't sure about this whole dating thing. If it didn't happen in church... Where would I look? Well, I mean, what were my choices here? Walmart? I've seen those people of Walmart videos. Whew, not good. But a buddy for mine here at the jar, Jib Baker, if you know Jib, he said, you need to do online dating because that's what people do now. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Sounds creepy. But we found a site called Christian Mingle. Com. I signed up, and within a week, I was messaging this sweet little thing from Ohio. A couple weeks later, we met in the daytime at a public park, a nice, safe place, where we sat and we talked for hours. I then canceled my subscription. I never went out on another date with anyone else, and I married this lady named Loretta two years later. I mean, I truly let God choose my relationship. And when He did, I knew. And it's funny because Loretta tells the story of after that first date in the park, she called her best friend on the way home and said, I just met my husband. You know, another cool thing that came out of that story is um, my daughter Courtney, who went to church with me that first time, she still goes. Her kids are in jar kids. She sits in the balcony during second celebration with her husband, Bryce, who I baptized in 2018. I mean, God is good. Even through paths that you just don't see happening. See, here's the thing. As a Christian, you need to let God choose who you should be with. Man, people people get in too big of a rush. People get in too big of a rush to to find a man or find a woman. And what happens is they settle. They just settle for somebody. You're too valuable to settle. You're a child of God. And if you're single, man, be careful, be patient. Honor God with your bodies, honor God with your decisions. Put up guardrails. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. Well, now for the married people. We need many, many guardrails put in place. We need like electronic fences and like moats that they used to put around castles. Because here's the thing, we can never be too safe when it comes to our marriages. So I'm going to quickly give you three Guardrails that will keep you from straying into dangerous and off limit areas. And I know these may sound extreme, but I believe that's how you have an extremely good marriage. So here's your first marriage guardrail you never keep passwords secret from your spouse. Never keep passwords secret from your spouse. Both partners in a marriage should be completely comfortable with having their spouse look at any social media accounts, emails, text messages, financial statements, whatever. Marriage is built on trust. You never keep passwords secret from your spouse. You only do that if you have something to hide. Here's another guardrail. Never have dinner alone with someone of the opposite sex. Never have dinner alone with someone of the opposite sex. Why even give Satan an opportunity to even work? I don't care if it's church. I don't care if it's work. Seventy percent of infidelity begins in the workplace. Here's another one. No flirting. You know, if you're married, it is never... Okay to flirt, no matter how much you insist that it's nothing. Every affair in the history of the world started out as nothing. Flee from sexual immorality. Man, your marriage is too important. And the world is way too dangerous. Listen, I know the guardrails that we've talked about today, they completely go against today's culture. They do. But we can't let culture set our precedent. We have to let God set it. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. You know what? Everyone else eventually has to answer for themselves. My Bible says, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. I mean, it's okay to flow in a different direction than what society is moving in. You don't have to be normal. Whatever normal is, you're not normal. You're children of God. you know what? Not only is it okay to be different, we're called to be different. And we're called to do things differently. Actions, friendships, relationships, you will never ever regret putting up guardrails in these three areas of your lives to protect you, guide you, and keep you from straying into dangerous and off-limit areas. Let's stand for closing prayer. Let's bow our heads. Well, dear God, we... We stand before you right now as your people that have fallen short at times. Your people that have missed the mark many times. But also a group that's been redeemed by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we ask that you give us the power. Give us the wisdom to take what we've learned today and to use it in our lives. God, let us apply it. Allow us not to just be hearers of your word, but also to be doers of your word. God, give us the strength to stand against the attitude of the world, a desire to honor you, a desire to glorify you in the way that we live our lives. And if there's anyone here today or on the live stream that's never made the decision to Accept Jesus and you'd like to just like I did when my daughter and I came here for the first time. I invite you to say this prayer. You can say it in your heart. Say it out loud. We all say it together like Pastor Chris loves to do. But if you're ready to accept Christ or you're ready to recommit yourself to him, repeat these words after me. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness for the things I've done. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to bring me new life. I confess him now as my Lord and Savior. I commit my life to him. I welcome the Holy Spirit into my life to guide me from this day forward.